The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the available lines ahead of the college basketball tournament on the DraftKings Sportsbook app. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Let's do it. Welcome, Chiefs Kingdom, to a Victory Monday edition of the Arrowhead Pride podcast that we like to call Out of Structure. I'm Matt Sagner here with Ron Cobb Jr. It's nice to have this podcast on a Monday after a Chiefs win. The Chiefs went into Philadelphia, came out with a 42-30 to victory. Andy Reid's 100th uh, victory with the Chiefs, first head coach ever to do it with two separate teams. A lot of takeaways this week, but who better to hear from than Ron, who was there firsthand. Ron, tell us what you saw. Yeah, I survived. I survived the the hellhole that apparently Philadelphia fans are, um, according to everyone I've talked to before the game. Uh, you know, it, it was funny. I Even in Philly, because I was actually there for the weekend, I have a friend, shout out my, uh, my guy CJ Perez, center at Temple. They got a big win Saturday. Um, we visited him uh, for the weekend and all weekend, everyone you run into bartenders, Uber drivers are telling you, oh, don't even wear your Chiefs jersey. Don't even wear any red. You're going to you know, you're going to get stuff thrown at you <laughs> um, anyway. Um, and they were really nice. They were very nice, uh, very nice fans. It, it was like I would imagine that's how Arrowhead is. You know, they were just all having fun, uh, you know, giving us a little crap. But, you know, they love Andy. That's what I kept hearing. They love Andy. And so it's cool to see him get his hundredth win. So. Good times. Nice to see a win. You know, it's been a couple of weeks since we've seen one crazy enough, but yeah, let's get it. Let's get into this. Well, the chiefs got back to 500 this week with the win. Now they're at two and two climbing back into respectability, at least uh, with some, with a victory that was fairly decisive, all things considered. Sure. There were some, you know, it was pretty close throughout until the fourth quarter when the chiefs pulled away uh, the, the final score was only as close as it was because of a garbage time touchdown on Philly's part. But what other takeaways did you have from the game, Ron? Yeah, first takeaway I got to imagine was just the fact that the offense was, I mean, there was no punts. <laughs> and I know that was, that was, that was good on the, on the other teams, uh, you know, on the, on the Eagles part too, to not punt, uh, you know, bad on our defense, but the offense was just unstoppable, especially on the ground, especially in the run game. Um, but, and then, but the Tyreek thing, you know, Tyreek going off for the 10 catches, 185 yards and three touchdowns. I mean, those, all three of those touchdowns were impressive in their own way. He had some other great catches that weren't touchdowns. He almost had one on the first drive, had one down the sideline too. That was a great catch on, you know, a perfect pass by Mahomes. And then the dagger, that dagger at the end, it was nice to see a dagger. Finally, this offense hasn't put the dagger 
in the coffin of an opponent all season. We haven't seen it in a long time, actually. It was great to see Tyreek actually put the dagger in a team, get a you know a 20-point lead, and kind of have a comfortable win for once. You bet. Tyreek's day was one of my big takeaways as well. And I noted this in the winners and losers column on arrowheadpride.com, but Tyreek Hill showed off all aspects of his game on Sunday, including really route running. I thought he put some, some corners on the spin cycle, as the kids say, in, in a couple of those moves. He had some really, really impressive moves to get open, uh, really sharp, really crisp routes. I think that's an overlooked aspect of his game, uh, but, a, but an amazing performance by Tyreek Hill. Matt McMullen of Chiefs.com had a great stat on Twitter. Tyreek had 10 catches, 185 yards, and three touchdowns. He's the first guy to do that since Tyreek Hill last year in, in Week 12. The only other player in NFL history to do that twice uh, or more than once is uh, Jerry Rice. So pretty good company. Uh, really, really impressive day for Tyreek Hill. Yeah, it was, and and it was an impressive day for him, but not for Travis Kelsey, right? It was kind of weird, a weird day for Travis Kelsey. Didn't have a lot of catches, a lot of yards. But the ways he did make it, the impact in the game was awesome, and, and he deserves an Oscar award for his acting during the uh, the Jody Fortson touchdown. By the way, Jody Fortson, Jody Fortson, two touchdowns? Talking about a scoring machine. Yeah. <laughs> All he does is catch touchdowns. Apparently, um, yeah, no, that the the great it was a great play call, great play design. It sounded like Kelsey actually made up that play or you know had the idea for that play. Um, in the press conference, that's what Mahomes said. Yeah, acts like there's miscommunication. I actually just saw Harold Koontz on Twitter tweet out a, a, a nice clip of Mahomes during that play, too. And he did a pretty good job of acting like he was very frustrated with Mahomes as well or with Kelsey as well. And you could see the defensive backs were kind of looking away as the ball was snapped. You know, and, and then the shovel pass to Fortson. So and then he also was the, the decoy um, on the Clyde, uh, the little Clyde touchdown too at the beginning of the game. Uh, Mahomes looked like he was going to throw to Kelsey in the flat and then came back on the, the shovel pass. So yeah. Kelsey, you know, he, he's not always going to put up the big yards. Big. It seems like he always does. But of course, when he doesn't, he's going to be a decoy and get his other teammates touchdowns. That was just it was great to see Kelsey kind of, you know, uh, be cool with being selfless. And we, we know he's selfless and everything, but it was cool to see it kind of come to fruition in a game. What I loved about that is you, you know, it's a, if you're a Chiefs fan, you know that that's a fake because Kelsey is never going to be running around uh, in a panic because he doesn't know what the play is. That dude will just line up and go get open. If he has, he has no idea what the play call is, he's still going to just line up, get himself open, and somehow Mahomes is going to know exactly where he is. So I, I love that play. I thought that was hilarious. Uh, as soon as he started throwing his arms up in the air, I'm like, oh, he's, he's faking that. Absolutely. So you may give him an Oscar for that, for, for his dramatic acting. Uh, you might give the comedic Oscar to Chris Jones uh, trying to recover a fumble. Uh, the the yakety yak music should have been playing on that one as he attempts to recover a fumble on the Legereus Sneed uh, strip sack and uh, kicks it, flops it around, bounces it off the referee's head, and somehow manages to not recover a fumble at the beginning or at the end of the the first half. You know, some may argue that he should have just fallen on it. I kind of like that he at least attempted to to score on that play. I don't mind him being aggressive there, but. That uh, turned out to be a, a comedic act. 
Yeah, we got to get like Rocky. You know, Rocky's making the uh, the gifts for you. We got to make get him on the yakety sacks over that that clip and, and see how funny that looks. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, the, the Jones the the thing with the Jones fumble though, like you said, you know, maybe he should have fallen on it because they would have had time for a field goal at the end of the half. But you also, as a defensive lineman in that situation, there was what like ten seconds before the snap, or maybe a little more, I guess. You probably don't know for sure if there even is time on the clock. And you, and, it, and you wouldn't want to just fall on a, a ball if you can't do anything with the ball afterwards. You want to try to score on that play because it's the last play of the half. So, And, and, and also on, on defense all the time, you want to scoop and score as much as possible if you can. But uh, if, it was, if, if it was maybe a different time in the game, maybe he does just after that first, that first fumbling with the ball, maybe he does just jump on it and not even you know, think about it. But uh, it, it would have been nice to see a, a big boy touchdown. We haven't seen one of those in a while. I think – it might be his only touchdown, but I just remember that pick six he had on Blake Bortles a couple of years ago. That was that was fun, or three years ago. So, but yeah, you know, Chris Jones, you know, he that was kind of his highlight of the day. He didn't have too many, you know, big highlights or anything, but yeah, that it was a fun. It was a fun highlight. That was a lot of fun. You know what else was fun is watching this offensive line block, especially in the run game. Those guys were just moving people and making gigantic gigantic holes for Clyde Edwards Hilaire to run through. I thought Clyde had a really good day once again, uh, but I think a lot of running backs could have had success behind that line yesterday. Yeah, I there were some wide open holes. When he got to the secondary, the second level of the defense, there was there was no one around him at times. Um, and and now that's also not only just the offensive line getting that second level, but I, got, I think you got to give credit to Andy Reid. Uh, you know, I – I, without watching the film, I'm not sure exactly what he was doing, but there had to have been something where he's taking, you know, he's he's making linebackers kind of, you know, think they have to be at, to the flat or be outside or something away from where the run's going. Because unless they were just running away from the run, sometimes there was no one around once he got to the second level, and so that was it was a great rushing performance. I'm surprised he didn't he he didn't get more than a hundred yards. Although that's the other thing, Darrell Williams had a pretty good game too. He they kind of uh, rotated them in pretty evenly. And Daryl had a really good game. He had a few big runs, too. So, all in all, run blocking was great. Pass blocking could have been a little better, but it was still good. And, and, and you obviously, you know, it, it's good enough for Mahomes to get five touchdowns and, and get the passer. I think it was about 135 passer rating. You know, there were some, there were some uh, mishaps. You know, Lucas Nyang had a, had a uh, sack that got, you know, taken away because of a defensive holding call that was pretty bad. Josh Sweat beat him really quick, but. All in all, offensive line had a really good game against a, a very tough defensive front, for sure. We talk about Clyde only, only I'm doing air quotes here, having 100 yards in the game. Well, he only had 14 carries on the day. So, yeah. you know, that, that's a really efficient day and a 7.3 clip for Clyde. Uh, you know, I said that maybe with a, a little bit in jest that a lot of running backs could do well behind that offensive line yesterday. Uh, Clyde definitely took what was there plus some. I think we got some stats to back that up. That we'll, we'll talk about that and the offensive line more in just a minute. The other thing that I took away was, once again, for the third time in four games so far this season, the other wide receivers, the non-Tyreek Hill wide receivers, had absolutely <laughs> – okay, I don't say absolutely – had basically no impact on this game. Um, they've, they've clearly put McColl – Hardman back into this sort of gadget player role where he's catching balls around or behind the line of scrimmage and or he had a couple of really effective runs this week, but nobody else really got anything. No catches for Demarcus Robinson, nothing for, for Marcus Kemp. Um, Byron Pringle had a couple of catches, you know, nothing to write home about really 
you know, in the development and the news early on in the day was that Josh Gordon was going to be available sooner than maybe we thought, and maybe even as soon as next week. And that's to the surprise of many people. I was sort of wondering to myself, how would that affect these secondary receivers on the Chiefs? Are they going to all of a sudden feel that pressure, feel the footsteps of Josh Gordon, his big six foot three, seven percent body fat footprints uh, coming coming behind them? And is that going to is that going to lead to a breakout day for some of these these secondary receivers, or are they going to struggle in the face of that kind of pressure? Really. I don't think either of those two things happen. It seemed like just another day, a fairly invisible and quiet day for those secondary targets. And it makes you wonder uh, if there's a good reason why the chiefs are bringing in Josh Gordon. Yeah. And, and the thing is the chiefs used a lot of multi-tight end sets on Sunday. I think that was a, a big part of their game plan. I thought that would be a part of their game plan. It was part of my five things to watch was using those 12 and 13 personnels. We saw Noah Gray for probably the most we've seen him all season. I didn't, I didn't see for sure how many snaps he got yet, but um, I'm, I'm sure it was the most all because he was in there quite a bit. Noah Gray actually should have caught a touchdown. Uh, he, he, uh, Mahomes scrambled around, found him in the back of the end zone and it just went off his hands. But, for the receivers, though, it does just seem like, like you mentioned, McColl back to his kind of just being a gadget player. He's great in that role, though. I mean, he is he is a great player in the you know that that reverse that we had. It seemed like every single lineman light leading him downfield, and he almost broke it all the way. He had Niang and Brown and Creed Humphrey all running downfield with him. I, I mean, you think it would have been, you think that would have maybe been a touchdown, but uh, it was a great play, and he's great in that role. It's just you need him to be more than that. You'd think he'd be more than that by now, and he's just not. And, and so it, it's it's kind of tough, and no other receiver is really stepping up. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see what Josh Gordon does. And yeah, that's, it, a good, it, that's a good point about them being tight end heavy, though. I'm, I'm looking at the snap counts now. You're right. Noah Gray had 27% of the snaps, uh, 18, uh, which is the same number as Blake Bell had uh, as well. So you're, they were getting those secondary tight ends on the field, uh, and Jody Forson had 15 snaps, so 22%. So all three of them right in that same range, which tells you that there were a lot of uh, three tight end sets. Yeah, and and, and so I, I do think that was kind of a game plan of theirs because the Philadelphia Eagles' second level of the defense, their linebackers, if you think our linebackers are bad, they might be even worse. And and, and that's saying something, and maybe they're not worse. Um, but the, the Eagles, that is definitely their weak, the weak point of their defense. And so taking advantage of that by – passing a lot from the tight end, you know, having a lot of linebackers on the field because you have so many tight ends. Um, but the other thing, too, with Josh Gordon, you mentioned that, you know, we hear the reports from Ian Rappaport that he could be ready as soon as week five. You know, I, I, I hate to say it, but I almost think maybe that's a little bit of the Chiefs just kind of knowing that they need him right now and, and they're kind of almost pushing, you know, uh, uh, kind of pushing the envelope a little bit like, hey, we, we kind of need him to be here week five more than, you know, he's actually – you know, a hundred percent ready to be in the offense, know the offense, you know, all well, because we know the offense is going to be hard to learn and he's been here for less than a week. And I'm sure there was talks before that, but it kind of just shows you how little confidence they have right now in their secondary wide receivers. Yeah, I I think that it does. Well, moving on to sort of a new segment. I think now that we've been through four games that at least last year would have been a quarter of the season. If you divide the season up that way now with 17 games, it's, Let's call it 38, 39% of the season without doing the math. But now that we have a sample size, let's talk about some stats for the Chiefs, maybe some that, that we may have missed or, or maybe surprising. 
So, Ron, I know you did some research. Um, give me a few offensive stats, and let's see what we can take away from this sample size so far this season. Yeah, we'll just start off with a few basic ones. And, and I think the, 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 the big one right now and, and is, is this yards per play stat. They, you know, yards per play is the, the most efficient or the, the smallest way to, to look at efficiency, right, because it's yards per single play, not per game, not per drive. It's every play, and they lead the entire league in it. And they lead, they have the, the lead on the second team as much like that range between the first and the second team is as much as it is between the second and eighth team right now. So they are kind of ahead of a uh, way ahead of the game right now in yards per play. That just shows you how good their offense is. They're second in scoring offense overall, first in points per drive, too. But here's the thing the least amount of drives total this year so far. They have had the least amount of possessions this year. That's that's pretty mind blowing. I think that has something to do with the defense. Um, and, and even with the turnovers, the second, which is the second highest rate in the league right now, they still have the second highest rate of drives ending in a score right now. So it just kind of shows you how dominant they've been. Really the only time they've been stopped is when they shoot themselves in the foot. And, and, and this offense is going to keep being dominant, especially, you know, maybe if Josh Gordon comes in and, and plays well, the offensive line is going to keep getting better. Yeah. Stags. I, I it, those stats just kind of tell you that this offense has been as dominant as we've, as we can expect. And as it ever has been. It's just, you know, the turnovers have kind of, you know, made it maybe seem as not as dominant as before. Yeah, there's some, there's some big numbers there. I mean, the, the yards per play, like you said, uh, the offensive efficiency, you saw this week, this team was moving the ball at will. There was really, they had long, sustained drives uh, this week, maybe more than what we've seen from Chiefs teams in the last few years. This team can move the ball whenever they want to, and now they can do it on the ground or in the air. Uh, which is, again, something that, that maybe has been missing from this team in the past. And then, yeah, that number about the, the percentage of drives that end in a score, for them to be the second highest on that list while also being the second highest in the most turnovers, that is, uh, that's mind-blowing because you, th- you think about how efficient, how many of those drives would have ended in a score had they not been turnovers because a lot of those turnovers have been in the red zone. Or at least on the you know on the opposite uh, the the opposition side of the field. So there is there is a really high percentage chance that if the Chiefs get the ball, they're gonna score. And they and and that is a that's a good feeling. This offense is as dominant, really, arguably as it ever has been, or at least is trending in that direction. Uh, all they have to do is, is stop the turnovers, and and they're gonna win nine times out of ten. And, and no matter what the defense does. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And off the top of our head, we can just think of last week against the Chargers, the first three possessions that ended in turnovers were all possessions that were in Chargers territory and they were driving pretty good. The Ravens game, that last possession, they fumbled away when they were about to score. So that's a good point. They, these, these drives aren't like, it's not like they're just throwing interceptions at the very beginning. They were, they were already about to score. So but uh, we'll get to a few more stats here. And I thought this was pretty crazy. You know, as, as, as aggressive as Andy can be sometimes, and he hasn't really had the situation where he's needed to because the offense has been so dominant, but they have yet to go for a fourth down this year, uh, which is, you know, kind of the flip side because you know that we've seen, we've seen uh, opposing offenses go for fourth down so much. Um, they have the fourth best red zone conversion percentage as well, 80%. Uh, that's no surprise. But how about this? And this goes along with the Chiefs having – the least amount of possessions in the NFL. They have the second fewest third down attempts in the NFL. 
but also the highest conversion percent of third downs in the NFL. And what that screams to me, that my takeaway from that stat, is that this offense has been so efficient, they just don't get in the third and fourth downs. They just don't. And 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 that's why they haven't been able to go for fourth down yet. That makes sense. This team gets gets the first downs, first and second downs. And when they get and when they get to third down, they're getting the conversion on 64% of the time, which is a, a huge number. That's a that's a great rate. I mean, that's almost that's almost two thirds of the time. Every, you know, two out of every three attempts, you're getting a first down on third down. I, I just you you can't you can't stop that and it's and it's going to be continue to be hard to because they played some pretty good defenses already and I know there's going to be tough defenses coming up but there's also going to be some lighter defenses that they'll have a, a little less trouble than against us you know uh, some of the other teams they yeah I just think the offense has been dominant that's I think that's the main takeaway not much uh, you know there's not much analyzing that needs to be said about that yeah I think the offensive dominance has been you know, maybe overlooked or slept on a little bit because there's there have been times where they looked out of sync. You know, last week, Patrick Mahomes looked uncomfortable in the pocket. Uh, early in the season, the run game, the timing was off. It didn't seem like like Clyde was was getting to where he needed to be when the offensive line was expecting and, and vice versa. So I think there was some there have been some issues on offense. Uh, but again, throw out the turnovers and everything else is 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 basically a non-issue everything they're basically unstoppable uh with or without turnovers and again if they clean up the turnovers they're this is going to be just a show for the rest of the season um let's talk about the offensive line specifically though i think some of the offensive stats really point to the massive overhaul that they've put in on the offensive line and how those guys are starting to come together i was alluding to it just now but Really, I think we should have all expected the first couple games for this offensive line to still be finding their way, learning how to play together, learning how to play as a as a uh, uh, offensive line, learning how to play with Mahomes and and with Clyde. But if you look at some of these stats, like the Chiefs are now eighth in the league in rushing yards, they're fourth in yards per carry at five point one yards per carry, and they have the fourth least sacks allowed per dropback. Um, those stats indicate to me that this offensive line is arguably already a top five unit and they're still improving and they have room to improve. They face four really good defenses. They've made some rookie mistakes here and there, but <laughs> we hope that this line could be a top offensive line. I think they're almost, I think they're, they're pretty much almost there. Man, especially when you're talking about in the run game, they, they are mowing dudes over. We already talked about it a little bit. Um, and, and the one stat that really points to it, that that is a really flip of the script from last year, uh, shout out football outsiders. They have a great stat. It's called power success rate. And, and if you guys have followed AP, you've heard me talk about it a few times over the last over the last year, last year. And, and uh, I'll, I'll real quick. This is what power success rate is. It's uh, the percentage of runs on third or fourth down, two yards or less to go that achieved a first down or touchdown also includes runs on first and goal or second and goal from the two yard line or closer. So basically short yardage conversions when it matters, right? Not just not a second and one, not a second and two when it matters. Third downs, red zone. The Chiefs this year have converted on those situations 100% of the time. And that's tied for with a few teams for the number one rate in the league. Last year, they were dead last in that category by a comfortable margin too, but they were about 50% last year. So one every two runs was not getting converted in those situations. That is a huge difference, and it's a and you saw it against the Eagles. It was very apparent 
how many third and ones, third and twos did they get into where they just easily converted with a run up the middle? I mean, this Chiefs, this Chiefs offensive line is moving people right now. And and I and I I like your I like your take. I like the top five offensive line take. The only reason I'm gonna push back on it a little bit is the pass bro still isn't great. It still isn't perfect. I think Mahomes at times, like you mentioned, he hasn't helped him out sometimes with his pocket presence. We saw it against the Eagles. You know, Orlando Brown actually, according to PFF, gave up three quarterback hits. He he did not have a great game himself. Lucas Niang gave up a sack. Um, that guy actually got called. You know, didn't actually count because of defensive holding penalty, but it it was a clean sack. You know, it was, it was him getting beat. Um, and he also had a holding penalty too. That was pretty crucial on a pass protection. So I, they're not perfect in pass protection. So maybe that's how they don't you know uh, get in the top five because there's some good offensive lines in the NFL, but they're getting there and and. The thing is, the crazy part is they have a lot more time to go and improve. This team needs to be ready for the playoffs. It doesn't matter how good they are right now. And the way this offensive line is trending, I mean, they're going to be one of the best, no doubt, But in the in the postseason. I mean, it, it's really trending that way. Yeah, you talked about the growing pains and, yeah, Creed Humphrey giving up a sack to uh, Javon Hargrave this week. That guy is has been a monster so far this season. So sometimes you're going to lose some. Last week they lost some to Joey Bosa. I get it. But – for the volume in this passing game, I, that's why I like this sacks per drop back, uh, fourth lowest in the league, because it factors in the, the fact that the Chiefs throw the ball a lot and Mahomes drops back a lot. And um, he's probably not the easiest guy to block for. You know, he's extending plays. He's moving around the pocket. He's he's getting crazy depth sometimes and, and sometimes taken off out of the pocket he doesn't need to. You know, there's, there's going to be some of those sacks and pressures that are on Mahomes and some where it's just going to take some time for these guys to get used to playing together. But, yeah, I think you have to be encouraged to where they are at this point in the season. I think they're ahead of where we thought they should be. Yeah, well, real quick, too, on Mahomes, you're saying that, you know, he's kind of hard guy to hard guy to block for, which I totally agree with. They're only going to get more used to, him, to how to block for him. You know, they're only going to get more used to, hey, this play, you know, we got to keep blocking. We can't just think that he got rid of the ball real quick and, and can stop blocking. So that's only going to get better and better as the season goes. Like I said, it's it's looking really good for the offensive line for sure. Well, speaking of an area that hopefully will be getting better as the season goes along, let's talk a little bit about the defense. Uh, Ron, you've got the defensive stats here, uh, but, you know, I, I think what you what you pulled up was that the, they were the second worst in yards per carry uh, running the football, right? So everybody's been talking about the run defense and how big of an issue this has been. So, Ron, it, do you see the run defense as a big issue, or is that is that just kind of the popular um, sentiment right it, now? It's an easy thing to kind of point to and say, oh yeah, you know, teams run the ball, they can keep the ball longer, Mahomes can stay off the field, and hey, you know, at, to be honest with you, it has kind of worked in terms of that we like we said the Chiefs have the least amount of possession in the entire NFL right now. That kind of shows you that time of possession does limit a little bit how many opportunities they get. But the run defense is not necessarily the problem because you need to be better at pass defense, and we'll get to that. But I, I really like this wrinkle you have on the run defense stats because I think this is important to note, and I'll let you go ahead and take it away on the, the little nuance uh, in this conversation about run defense. Yeah, if you just look at the the raw numbers, um, yeah, they're, they're letting opponents rush for, for the second most yards per carry. And they have they've been given up a couple of big rushing performances so far this season, and it's got everybody in a panic about this run defense and how you know they just are going to get run over like the was it the twenty eighteen team or or some previous years where run defense was just a complete issue across the board. 
So I'm going to argue that it may not just it may not be as simple as that. So if you look at just running rushing yards allowed by the Chiefs defense against opposing running backs only, they've given up 86 yards per game, 86 almost 87 yards per game, and a 4.88 yards per carry. The yards per carry still isn't phenomenal, but 86 yards per game on average, no 100-yard rushers allowed from any running back. Uh, if you took out the quarterback rushing yards, you they gave up 116 yards rushing to running backs against Cleveland, 142 to Baltimore, 58 to the Chargers, and 31 to Philly. So this is a team that is not getting run over by running backs. So maybe it's not a run game problem. What they have a problem with are design runs to quarterbacks. And, and they got killed by Lamar. Uh, and they got killed by Hurts a little bit in that regard this week. Yeah, and the key point there, the key word right there is design runs by quarterbacks. Jalen Hurts and Lamar Jackson are probably going to be two of the quarterbacks you see that they get used the most in that area in the NFL, especially on the Chiefs' schedule. We, we, we got Josh Allen coming up, and, hey, he's a great runner, but the Bills do not just put him out there like they do, like the Ravens and uh, Eagles do with Lamar and Jalen Hurts. They don't give him on a bunch of zone reads, a bunch of design runs. Maybe on the goal line, that is, that is where they'll maybe use him, his big body as a, as a battering ram a little bit. But he's going to be scrambling a lot. And, and hey, that's still going to be an issue to deal with. But the design runs have been really what's been killing the Chiefs, uh, quarterback design runs. And they really don't see a lot of those kind of offenses again for the rest of the season. Uh, if you kind of look in the schedule, it's going to be a lot more traditional runs. Now, there's still some good rushing offenses, even if they're traditional. But like you're saying, you know, the running back, giving up the running back yards hasn't been necessarily the problem it's been the quarterback rushing that's kind of given them trouble so far but. There, there might be some people that listen to that and think that hey we're making excuses for this defense or we're trying to argue that the defense has been better than it has been uh we're not we're we're trying to make the case that uh they're not it's not the run defense uh, the, that's a problem uh look at some of the past defensive stats and and you know you start to see that this is a this is a broader problem than just them not being able to line up and stop the run. Yes, and and thank you for setting me up because this is where I'll kind of uh, real quick before I get to the stats, just say you know because I I think I have been maybe trying to defend the defense a little a little bit, and I think game by game, I, I my point has been that the offense hasn't helped them out enough, knowing that the defense is bad and you can't let them try to win you a game. But the Eagles game really discouraged me, man. I really thought this was going to be a game that we kind of have a get-right game. You know, Eagles don't have great receiving core. Devontae Smith and a bunch of other guys. And Devontae Smith's a rookie still. You know, you'd think your veteran corners could handle him a little better. Uh, you'd think our defensive line would get better pass rush against a, a really, you know, four out of five starting offensive linemen missing. <clears throat> but, no, it's been a problem. The pass defense has been a huge problem. And the stats back it up. Third highest yards per attempt allowed, passing attempts allowed this year. The sixth lowest pressure percentage this year, according to Pro Football Reference. Fifth view of sacks as well. And here, and here's the kicker right here. And, and it, it is kind of skewed a little bit because they have not faced as many possessions as, as most NFL teams because of how, men, how long possessions last against the Chiefs defense because they can't get off the field. They have faced the third fewest third down attempts. But what that also tells you is that they can't get a stop on first or second down. You need to get into those third down attempts, and they're just not doing it right now. And even when they do, the team goes for it on fourth down. They're allowing six of eight fourth down conversions, I believe, this year. But the eight attempts is the most fourth down attempts, too. So 
you know, that is also offense or opposing offenses knowing they don't want to give the ball back to Mahomes. So it's a little bit of a, you know, it, it sucks, but you know, it's kind of the con of playing with a great offense is the other offense wants to be super aggressive too. But here's a kicker though. Most yards per drive points per drive. So that's efficiency right there. That, that, that kind of shows you. And the red zone conversion percentage is still bad. It's still 79%. Although it did get better against the Eagles, even though the Eagles kind of helped them out more than it was the chiefs. Uh, that first drive, you know, hurts misses Ertz on a wide open touchdown, even though Chris Jones did get pressure on him. They had the uh, they went for on fourth down and then got a delay a game. So they had to settle for a field goal. Yeah, the Eagles didn't really help in that regard. But this team, this defense needs to get stops in certain situations. They need to get big time sacks. They need to make big plays, you know, interceptions, whether it be, you know, in, in the red zone, just making a stop. They just have not done it enough this year. It just has not been happening. And you know what? I'm going to say it right now, Stags, and, and I, I didn't tell you this before the podcast, but I'm just go. I'm, I believe this. If, if we had to go to the playoffs right now, if for whatever reason the NFL season stopped and the playoffs started right now, I don't think this defense is good enough for them to win a Super Bowl. I, I, I just don't. I don't I, if they're playing like this, by the time the January pl- playoffs roll around, they're not going to win a Super Bowl. I just They have to get better. I mean, there's just, there's just no doubt about it. It's painful to hear out loud. I, I can't make a strong case against it, though. Um, to me, it feels like it's this, it's a game of, of whack-a-mole trying to figure out what's going on with this defense, right? It's first, it feels like it's the run defense. I don't think that's really the issue. Uh, now the pass defense is an issue. So I'm looking at all the reasons that the pass defense might be an issue. Tell me, is this possible? Is it possible that it's because of slow linebackers, bad pass rush, a lot of miscommunication, cornerbacks being overmatched, safeties not being athletic enough? Is it possible that all of those things are issues, Ryan? It is possible because uh, sometimes it feels like that's exactly what's happening. But to defend the pass rush a little bit, I do think this the opposing offenses have really hammered home quick passes, quick passes to the flat, uh, end arounds to, uh, you know, quick play action plays, you know, RPOs. They have been hammering those because, because of how slow the linebackers are for one. And the miscommunications in the secondary. I mean, how many times has it been a wide open receiver uh, in the past few weeks? And I know I gave him a little more, you know, a little more leeway in the Chargers game because, hey, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams might be one of the best receiver duos in the NFL currently. But you're talking about a very, a very minimally, you know, I'm, I'm not a huge fan. You know, Devontae Smith is a great receiver, but the rest of the Eagles receiver, of course, should not be making our secondary look that bad. And they were going all over the field on him. They punch a wide open passes. So I think, I think the main thing right now is the back end. I think the front, the front end still gets a little bit of, you know, cause they do create pass rush at some points, you know, Mike Dan has had three sacks this year. Good for him. They've all kind of been hustle sacks, but it does seem like the main thing right now is the back end is just whether it's the linebackers being slow or there's miscommunication between the cornerbacks and safeties. It has just not been good. And they've just not been holding up their bargain. And that's what needs to be good. If, if the pass defense is good and the run defense is bad, it's, it's actually a lot more, you know, feasible to get, uh, you know, get over that and kind of play through it rather than the other way around, which it is right now. And that's why you're seeing teams kind of just run all over, or, you know, uh, go up and down the field on the Chiefs defense. Yeah, it's frustrating to watch because, you know, as you know, this is the ultimate team sport, right? So you need all the different parts of the defense to complement each other. The pass rush can't get home if the quarterback has a wide open player to throw it to in two seconds or less. It's just never going to happen. Um, uh, on the flip side, you know, with no pass rush, the, it puts the corners, a lot of stress on the corners. The, the quarterback can, can step into, step into the ball and, 
or step into the pocket and throw a clean ball and and a perfect pass will beat perfect coverage every time. Now they haven't had perfect coverage that often, but it's still it still puts the corners in a very difficult position. I, I think the most notable for me has been the the slow uh, reactions and the slow or lack of athleticism in the linebacker position. Uh, they're really missing Willie Gay Jr. I think there's really been some some growing pains for uh, for Nick Bolton, and I I think we were seeing a lot too much a lot too much of Ben Neiman. Um, but, you know, I think there's – that's something that's going to be fixed a little bit, right? So Willie Gay is going to come in uh, in the next couple of weeks probably, and, and the linebacking group will start to look a little bit better. Uh, the corners looking overmatched. You know, you've got Traverius Ward, who's a pretty competent corner, and that sort of shifts the roles for everybody else back maybe to where the team wants them to be. Maybe that helps a little bit. From the safety position, you know, we're all kind of holding our breath waiting for – for uh, you know, for Sorensen to take less snaps and for uh, Juan Thornhill to get more, I just saw a great stat from Arrowhead Live on on Twitter. Um, Tyron Matthew has played 94 snaps at free safety, uh, which is 43 percent of his snaps, compared to 16 percent in 2019 and 24 percent in 2020. So they're really using Tyron Matthew deep because they're not playing Juan Thornhill. And there's this whole cascade, you know, problem that happens because of that, right? So you're you're using Tyron Matthew deep, where he's not bad, but it's not you know his best uh, area of the field. His best area of the field is closer to the line of scrimmage. So you're playing him a little bit out of position, um, and now there's nobody to cover tight ends and running backs on the flat and and come up and, and make plays because Tyron's coming from that much deeper. So. You know, in a perfect world, you'd have Thornhill deep. You'd have Matthew closer to the line of scrimmage. You'd have, you know, Ward and and uh, Hughes or Baker as your as your starting corner. I'm sorry, Ward and, and Snead as your starting corner, and Hughes and Baker would play a little bit less or play more in the slot. So, so really, there's a lot of people playing out of position in the secondary. You've got linebackers missing their one athletic player, uh, and then the pass rush is just not getting home. Certainly haven't seen the production from Chris Jones or Jaron Reed that we would like to. I think if you watch both of them closely enough, uh, at least this week, I saw a couple of positive signs. Jaron Reed nearly had a sack. He had another uh, a good play in the backfield. Uh, Chris Jones had some pressures uh, that will go overlooked, like you mentioned, that they don't show up in the box score. But really it's, again, I go back to this idea of, of defensive whack-a-mole. It's, you know, where's the problem? And it's it's here – it's – it's a different problem in a different area of the field on nearly every play, it feels like. Uh, and so the it's not going to be a simple fix. It's not going to be an overnight fix on this defense. Yeah, and real quick, just to add to that, I, li- I like that stat you pulled from Arrowhead Live. Um, that is that is pretty crazy that he's playing nearly half a snap of free safety because you're right. That is not where you want to be playing Matthew. I mean, you're just kind of wasting his abilities at that point. And I think you know, I, I tend to, I tend to think stacks or spags. I, I think I, you know what you're doing too, but I tend to think spags knows what he's doing. <laughs> and why, why I say that is that it, it's starting to seem like maybe Thornhill just isn't, isn't, he's, he's not a starter. I mean, he, or he's not, you know, he's not playing or he's not, he doesn't have the ability in their eyes to be a starter. It's not about maybe even how well Sorensen knows the defense or how well the camp he had. It might just be that they don't trust you know, maybe they trusted 2019 Thornhill to patrol the back end, but maybe they don't trust him now. And 
you know, you do see some times where he just doesn't look as athletic as he, he probably should. And maybe that injury just kind of set him back athletically so much that he's just not the same player anymore. And when you, when, when you don't have that athleticism, it, it makes you a lot worse because you can't make up for stuff, um, you know, as a young player that maybe, you know, you could have when you had, you know, the four, four speed he had or whatever. So it's starting to kind of, you know, I, we got to get discouraged about it a little bit. I hate to say it, but it's just, it's starting to feel like maybe Thornhill's just not right now, at least he's just not the player that we all kind of think he is. And we saw in 2019, he's just not that guy right now. Yeah, it's it's tough to again. That's that's not news you want to hear said out loud, and and it doesn't hit the ear well. But you know, when you watch where Thornhill struggled this week, you know the the couple most visible plays were uh, he missed a tackle on Hertz, I think, when he was on a design run, uh, and you know some of those that's not going to be his strong suit. I mean, Thornhill's not a bad tackler for a free safety, uh, but that's a big clarification for a free safety. He should be. He should be roaming that, that defensive backfield, uh, not trying to press up at the line of scrimmage. I think, I think you know, there's there's something to be said for these guys playing out of position. Thornhill played uh, 31 snaps this week on defense, so 42% of the snaps. Uh, where Sorensen played 99%, and Tyron Matthew played 100%. So, you know, he's clearly the third safety in their eyes, and, and he comes in, you know, on pass-heavy downs, and uh, you know, if the if the I think they're comfortable with him in that role, and they're so far not budging off of that. So we'll see if that changes as the season goes on, you know. But something's got to change, and it can't just be, you know, getting Ward and, and Gay back. There's got to be something else that changes for this defense for them to get where they want to be. But I'll tell you what, this is a good place to take a break. Uh, we'll hear from our sponsors when we come back. We have a few more stats for you, uh, some individual stats, some special team stats. And then we'll get to more of your questions uh, because we did have some good questions this week. We definitely don't want to ignore those. There's just a lot to take away, a lot to talk about on this Victory Monday. Uh, So stick with us on the Out of Structure podcast. We'll be right back with you. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And we're back. Thanks for, thanks for sticking with us, the Out of Structure Podcast. I'm Matt Stagner again here with Ron Kopp Jr. We're talking about some statistics that, that may have snuck up on us now just almost at the quarter point of the, the Chiefs season and the NFL season this year. Let's talk special teams, everybody's favorite topic. Hell, half of this roster is constructed just for Dave Tobe and his special <laughs> teams. Uh, what have you seen on the special team side statistically so far? Yeah, it's, it's been good. It's been really good special teams wise. Uh, look at Harrison Butker. You know, we kind of talked about the extra points, uh, you know, being a struggle of his. He missed six last year. 
and we're probably going to jinx him, but he has not missed a single one this year. He is 17 for 17, which is also the most extra points attempted in the league. So good for him. And then also his holder, shout out Tommy Townsend. He hasn't been uh, he hasn't been playing too much, and it's not of any fault of his own. Uh, he just they, the Chiefs have we, we saw it on Sunday. They didn't punt once, and they actually have the fewest punts in the entire league right now. It's six punts, and that just shows you how dominant the offense has been. But uh, they've they've you know there've been no uh, no bad punts yet, so that's good. Just uh, not a lot of punts to go off of. So. Yeah, how about that? How about the uh, kicker and punter kind of having a, a good start to the season? That's always good to have your special teams rounded up like that. Yeah, it's good to have a clean clean start from the season for the season uh, from those guys. Not a whole lot of takeaways there. We're glad to see that whatever extra point issues that Harrison Butker had last season have not so far carried over this season. And and yeah, Tommy Townsend's been been fine as a punter. Whenever he's he's had to punt, it might be a pretty sweet job that he's got. Uh, so as the uh, as the punter, I think we got a question in, to that regard um, from from one of you. Uh, they asked, um, "How do I get a job like Tommy Townsend on a day like this?" That was uh, Matrick Mahomes, uh, not a Chiefs fan, on Twitter. I think that's a uh, that's a good call out. Um, you know, it's a pretty sweet gig to be a punter on a Patrick Mahomes led offensive team, and uh, you know, really haven't seen uh, you know much to complain about on the special team side. There was a decent – one pretty good return from the Eagles this week, but they haven't given up any touchdowns or anything like that on the return side. Been a little sloppy. I think uh, you saw the the, the Pringle fumble uh, this week. But, you know, all in all, they've been solid on special teams. You'd like to see some more game-changing returns, of course, but, uh, but not a whole lot to complain about on the special team side. Yeah, and those returns are probably coming. Um, but let, let's get into some individual stats because I, and I'm going to start off with mine. I'll let you kind of hit the, the other three that you have there, but Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, the guy that we all started really questioning over, you know, after the first two weeks and, you know, Stags here has always been tried and true in his, his love for Clyde and, uh, his, his belief in him. And, uh, no, I think, I think everyone realistically, you know, we, we kind of all had some questions about it, but you know, Hey, he could always get better. It's only two games in the season. Well, guess what? He has been a lot better uh, over the last two games. And I got some great stats to prove that. And so here we go. I'm going to just start with the yards per carry rate. So first two weeks, Clyde was averaging 3.3 yards a carry. That is 6.5 over the last two weeks. How about 1.5 yards after contact per attempt the first two weeks? That's up to 3.5 last two weeks. So I'm, I'm splitting them up two weeks here, two weeks there, not total. He only forced one missed tackle per PFF the first two weeks. How about nine the last two weeks? And that's all individual. You know, it's not about the offensive line. How dominant they've been is, is separate from those kind of stats I just gave you. And how about this? Uh, you know, this goes to the offensive line too, but he had not a single 10-plus yard rush the first two weeks. He's had seven the last two weeks, including three that went for 15-plus against Philadelphia. And also somehow he didn't have any rushes that ended in a first down the first two weeks. Well, he's had nine the last two weeks, so – all those stats to say Clyde has been really good the last two weeks uh, along with the offensive line, but he has started to, I think, really kind of, you know, uh, got get the shake on a little bit, show his finesse a little more than, than the first two weeks. He wasn't kind of breaking as many tackles as he is now, and he's, he's on pace to have a really good season now, Stags. Yeah, I mean, he's top 10 in the league already in rushing uh, right now, which, again, is, it sounds weird to say out loud considering how bad the start to the season was for him. He's on pace for a, a 1,164 yards and five touchdowns on the ground this year. 
Uh, obviously, his career best is in his only other career year. Uh, is he had 803 yards and four touchdowns last year. So he's definitely trending towards uh, a better season this year, even than he had last year. And, and again, I argue that he was pretty good last year and he's getting better. I do think that you can really visibly see how much more decisive and more comfortable he is in this offense over the last couple of weeks. And it shows in the results. I mean, you know, he, he's efficient in yards per carry. He's averaging five yards per carry total uh, right now. Uh, that's the that's sort of the gold standard for running backs, right? So if you if you know you can give it to Clyde and get five yards on average every single time, this offense can do whatever they want to. And so that's I think that's a a really nice turnaround from Clyde, and now he's on pace for a pretty good season. Yeah, so we'll get to some secondary receivers. Um, you know, uh, shout out Darrell Williams too. I think he's been running pretty well this year, but Clyde's definitely the best running back in the room. Still would like to see some Jarek McKinnon, though. I, I I would like to see maybe just a few carries sprinkled in, but they just – I don't know. I, it is nice to see Clyde as a first-round pick get used the way he is. Uh, you know, don't waste that pick. You know, hammer hammer that – you know, hammer him until, you know, during his rookie contract. But anyway, let's get to some individual stats from the receivers. Now, Byron Pringle has seven catches for 104 yards this year. That's, that's on pace for 416 yards and four touchdowns because he had the touchdown against Baltimore. That's a pretty good pace for him, considering his career best is a 170 yards and a touchdown. That's some that's some pretty good numbers for Byron Pringle, and I don't think you sh- you we could have expected much more from Pringle. I don't I don't know, I don't know what you think about that stags, but I mean yeah. I don't know how how, how much bigger numbers he could have even put up uh, in the first place. Yeah, hey, those are Demarcus Robinson numbers. I mean that's <laughs> yeah that's elite exactly. production right there. No, I we talked about these <laughs> secondary receivers and how they they haven't done a whole lot. Uh, you know, again we're being critical here, but you know, if you look at just the raw numbers, you know, Pringle has has is about to exceed his career best probably in his next game or two. So, you know, he, he's certainly been, you know, a, a small factor, um, you know, it's good enough for a fourth wide receiver role. And, and I think that uh, I think he's proven his worth there and he proves his worth on special teams. So, you know, great. I and mean, they got they got a role for him and he's he's producing. Uh, two expectations for that role if he ends this year with four or five hundred yards and four or five touchdowns I think we would all be pretty okay with that um, especially with a a potential you know game changer coming in Um, now speaking of game changers McCole Hardman we had maybe hoped would be more of a game changer and if you looked at the way he started his career he was making big plays he didn't have a lot of volume of plays in his in his rookie year uh, but he put up, you know, 560 yards and six touchdowns. And you thought, okay, uh, this is a guy that's got a future as a huge playmaker. We haven't seen that so far this year. I, it seems like the Chiefs, you know, really wanted to make him at set number two wide receiver. They really wanted to get him the volume and the normal, uh, quote unquote, normal wide receiver type plays. He's done that in one game this year. I think his performance against Baltimore showed some short to intermediate routes, some, some, you know, run a route, catch it, catch the ball, uh, move the chains five for 55, I think is what he ended up with against Baltimore. But other than that, it really looks like he is a gadget player. And I think we mentioned this earlier, if they've really put him back into that gadget player role, he's a complimentary player on this team. You know, he can, when he gets the ball in his hands, he is lightning and it's fun to watch, but it really feels like they're starting to give up on this idea of him being a quote unquote, true number two, number three wide receiver. 
and, and he is that complimentary gadget piece, which is perfectly fine as long as you've got two good receivers ahead of him plus uh, Travis Kelsey. And I think if Josh Gordon comes in and he can be that guy, that number two wide receiver, the third receiving target, then all of a sudden you, you've got something. And McColl being in that role is perfectly, perfectly adequate. I think you pointed out that McColl had uh, almost half of over half his catches and almost half of his yards on passes that did not cross the line of scrimmage. So it really backs up that concept that he is a he's a gadget player and and a competent one and a fast one and an exciting one with the ball in his hands. But but he might just be that. Yeah. So one of his catches all year have gone have trapped like the, the pass has traveled in the air uh, nine or more or ten or more yards past the line of scrimmage. All 12 of, his, uh, 12 of his 13 catches have either been behind the line of scrimmage or between zero and nine yards from the line of scrimmage. So that that just kind of shows you that he has just not been the deep threat that we kind of maybe thought uh, he could be. It kind of is surprising to me, too, though, because you'd think Andy would have been able to scheme something up for him a little bit um, to be in that role. And, and, and the last thing I'll say on the number two and three receiver thing is, you know, Dave Tobe is the assistant head coach, and he was the one kind of he, he was asked about Josh Gordon and, you know, Andy Reid's not going to give much up, but Dave Tobe might have let it slip. He said when Josh Gordon gets pulled, called up, we're expecting him to be a, a, a two or three receiver for us. He used those exact words, which is pretty high expectations for a guy that you just signed off the street. Um, and But I think, like we kind of mentioned earlier, that just kind of shows you that this team is kind of banking on him to be a really big part of this offense, mainly because the rest of the offensive weapons are just yeah, I mean, there's a there's a spot for him there, and again, I think he makes that offense that much better if it works out, and, and that really takes some of the pressure off from McColl. He doesn't have to be that number two wide receiver; just has to do what he does best, and and the Chiefs will continue to scheme up ways to to have him do that. Uh, the the last individual stat, so we we got to talk about Mahomes. So far this season, Patrick Mahomes is completing seventy two point three percent of his his passes. His career average is sixty six point five. So He's been as accurate and as efficient um, as ever and, and a little bit better there. He's on pace with the stats he has so far. He's on pace for 4,872 yards, 56 touchdowns, 16 interceptions. That compares pretty favorably to that 2018 season when he had 5,000 yards, 50 touchdowns, and 12 interceptions. So obviously the interceptions are up a little bit, but everything else is as good or better than we've ever seen from Mahomes, and it's it's a great time to be a Chiefs fan with him producing like that. Yeah, and, and we've mentioned it already, but they played some tough defenses too. They turned the ball over a lot. I think those things are going to keep kind of trending away, you know. I think they're going to play worse defenses. They're You know, they're not going to turn the ball over as much, and it might even lead to even more production. So I could see him even outpacing these stats, although the 56 touchdowns would be ridiculous. But uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. All right. Well, yeah. So let's get into a few questions. And uh, Jake Wilson, our guy uh, on Twitter at Jake for now. Um, do we know the Chiefs' process for deciding whether to challenge a play? Because the best play of Ben Neiman's career ended up being a missed opportunity. It feels like a first half timeout is worth the gamble for a possible red zone turnover. I totally agree. I was I was at the game as I mentioned, and I did not. I saw them kind of calm down. Think twice about it. But looking back. Ben Neiman did a really good job getting his hand in there and causing a fumble. It was a fumble uh, in my eyes. Um, and I'm surprised the Chiefs didn't uh, think to look at that or, or even take the second to. Um, Andy's got a – Andy, I don't know what the process is. 
in my in my belief is that there's someone up in the booth look or you know in the in the coach's box looking at it and they'd call down to Andy and tell him. So either that guy needs to get on his horse a little more and 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 check that, or Andy's got to you know if he sees that happen and and there's any question he needs to chill out, you know in terms of like maybe hey just take a timeout like you mentioned Jake and uh, challenge the play because I mean that would have been a huge game changing play they scored on the next play. And it and like you said, it would have been a, a great career for or a great highlight for Ben Neiman. And maybe we would have you know, would have felt a little better about him. I think Ben Neiman actually played a pretty good game yesterday, I will say. But uh but yeah, so I I think that do that does need to happen. I think the Chiefs need to be on top of that a little more. Yeah, whoever the uh the guy in the Chiefs coaching um uh, suite that is supposed to make that call was probably in the bathroom or, or on a beer run or something at that <laughs> right. No, I, I think I think what happened was the the Eagles got up and snapped the ball really quick uh, on the next play. I think they knew that it was a fumble, uh, but they 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 moved as quickly as they could, and, and the Chiefs just did not react in time. Uh, so they were a step slow on that one. I don't know that it's a process issue more than just a you know maybe they didn't get a good look at it or or they were just a step slow on getting that uh, that challenge flag out. But you're right. There's you're right, Jake. There's absolutely no reason you don't gamble. In that situation, absolutely challenge that. There's no no question about it. That is a you, – you use your challenge there. Who cares if you lose a timeout at the end of the first half? Well, yeah, especially in, especially in the red zone defense, right? I mean, like, th- this team needs stops in the red zone, and that would have been a big one. Um, but, yeah, I, I think I think that was they, – they needed they needed to call that, I, I think, for sure. I think they needed yeah. to get that in. Absolutely. If you, if you look at that play, just just that play alone – plus the garbage time touchdown at the end. Uh, if you take those two touchdowns off the board for the Eagles, all of a sudden we're talking about a brilliant defensive performance uh, by the Chiefs and a huge blowout. So, I mean, you know, it's it's one of those things that if you – sometimes the results and the process don't necessarily match up. You talked about it earlier with the red zone defense. Yeah, they were better, but some of that was because of penalties on the Eagles and other, you know, quirky, quirky things that happened. So – you take the results when they work out in your favor. If, if not, you, maybe you're left thinking, what if? So uh, not, some more good questions from you all about the the roster. And, and uh, maybe we, this really is a chance for us to revisit our bubble watch uh, that we've we've had through the preseason. So the first question from Domsh, uh, Domsh Ethan, uh, who on the active roster gets cut to make room for Josh Gordon? And do we anticipate that that will be a receiver uh, so, so Ron, who do you think they cut for, for Josh Gordon? To me, it seems pretty, pretty clear. Yeah, it is clear. It's it, Doris fountain. You know, you, you maybe kept him around because he's that X type, that bigger type that you, you could maybe, and, in, in you know, if he gets better, you could call him up and maybe he does produce for you. Well, that's what you're hoping Josh Gordon does. So there's not really any reason to keep him around. And so hope you get on the practice squad. But what do you think, Stags? Do you think Gordon could could actually get up to that wide receiver two, wide receiver three spot where he's actually taking snaps away from Demarcus Robinson or McCall Hardman? Yeah, you know, I think that's the interesting angle on this too. Is not just who whose roster spot is he going to take, but whose role on game day is he going to take? And you're right. I think Jerry's Fountain's the obvious choice in that he's a wide receiver who doesn't really play special teams. There's only room for so many of those guys on the roster, and they'd better be producing on offense. Fountain's been inactive every week so far. Uh, maybe there's enough distance between him and his preseason production that he can slip through waivers and get to the practice squad and they can get Gordon on the, the active roster. But once he's on the active roster, then what? 
you know, is, is this going to be a guy that all of a sudden is Sammy Watkins or Sammy Watkins plus? Um, is he going to be able to keep, you know, Demarcus Robinson off the field? Because really, if you look at who's been eating up snaps for the Chiefs on wide receiver and, and how have they produced, Robinson gets a ton of snaps and the production just really hasn't been there. He had 67% of the offensive snaps this week and didn't record a catch. You know, I think there's a, a pretty obvious um, opportunity there for somebody to come in and take at least a good portion of those snaps away from Demarcus Robinson, uh, relegate him to more of a reserve special teams type role uh, where Marcus Kemp is uh, as well. So I think there are snaps and opportunities and targets for the taking. I'm not sure he's going to take away. Josh Jordan's probably not going to take away from McCole Hardman's role. I think they're going to continue to try to feature McCole Hardman in the ways that they currently feature McCole Hardman. But I think Josh Gordon can certainly take some of Demarcus Robinson's role, maybe a little bit of Byron Pringle's role, uh, and in any offensive snaps that you would have given to, to Marcus Kemp. Uh, just give all of that role to, to Josh Gordon and see what happens. Worst case scenario, he's a six foot three decoy out there, uh, you know, running routes and, and keeping some attention. Uh, best case scenario, he makes a big plays for this team. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't. Uh, they did definitely didn't help uh, the fan base's uh, irrational probably uh, confidence in Josh Gordon being a huge. Uh, you know, my confidence as well being a huge part of this offense. Tyron Matthew calling him Megatron after one practice. Uh, you know, I, all all that stuff uh, in in the media last week. Yeah, it, 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 it seems like the team is really buying into Gordon. So, I, I you know, it, it shouldn't be surprising if he does turn out to be a really a big piece of this offense because the, the team is sure acting like he's going to be. So, But let's move on uh, to Chat, Chief Smash Forever's question. I love this question because, you know, it, it is, it's, it's smart to look at the bottom of the roster. He asked, who's the player at bottom? Uh, who's the player at bottom 45 to 53 players that has done more than you thought? Is Dana coming into his own? Mike Dana, who has three sacks so far this this year. Uh, he seems to be productive each week. Stags, who are the players kind of in that that fringe where they're not, you know, they're sometimes they're even inactive on game day. Um, uh, that, in that range of players, who is kind of impressing this year in your eyes? So the question says the 40, uh, 45 to 53, right? So quite conveniently, I happen to, to do a series on Airhead Pride called Market Movers where – I rank the players uh, according to my eye uh, and, and my fully subjective opinion every single week, one to 53 plus the practice squad. And, and so looking at 45 to 53, those guys are, you know, Dorian O'Daniel, Mike Remmers, Nick Allegretti, Andrew Wiley, Chad Henney, Dries Fountain, Armani Watts, Austin Blythe, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, and Darius Harris. If I had to give a nickname to those uh, eight players, I would I would call them the inactive list because that's pretty much what you see each week. So not a lot to 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 glean from that group. Uh, Dorian O'Daniel got his first two snaps on defense uh, for the season this this week uh, after Ben Neiman went in the con- concussion protocol, but not a whole lot we can take from that group. So I'm going to go up uh, a tier and look at the the bottom of the roster that actually is active on game days. Now we're talking about Colin Saunders, Marcus Kemp, uh, Chris Lamond, Ben Neiman, uh, Joshua Kando. I think those are those are sort of the the guys that are towards the bottom of the roster. Not through any fault of their own necessarily, but just that's that's their role on this team. Uh, of that group, you know, I haven't seen any huge positive surprises. I think 
Colin Saunders has looked fairly competent in the snaps that he's had. He hasn't really had any production yet, but, you know, some decent signs out of him. On the positive side, uh, Josh Kando and another guy who's pretty close uh, on my list is Alex Okafor. Those guys, I think, have have not been super impressive yet. Uh, Alex Okafor I had on the, the losers, the winners and losers list this week uh, because his, his production just hasn't been there. Uh, and he had a silly penalty this week that that really cost the team. So, you know, not a not a ton from this bottom group to be super excited about. Chris Lammons has been great on special teams other than the penalty he had this week, uh, which set the team back. But he hasn't gotten in on defense at all. So uh, do you see anybody in this range? I, I'm showing you my list on the screen now. Do you see anybody in this range uh, that's been that's really a standout for you? Well, Chris Lammons would have been it before this week, like you said. I mean, he's still been a really good special teams player. I didn't realize how good of a special teams player he was. Tobe makes him or sound or, you know, uh, talks about him like he's one of the best gunners in the league. Um, and he's and he's proven it, uh, you know, so far this season. That was a bad special teams penalty last uh, or last night on the uh, field goal attempt, I believe. But yeah, I mean, Colin Saunders, I had really high hopes for. Um, like you said, he hasn't really produced. I mean, he's had good snaps, though. I, I I remember when I really dove into the defensive line film against Cleveland, he was he was holding his own against a really good offensive line, kind of pushing dudes around. So that was good to see. And and I think he's just gonna, you know, he's gonna have some situational plays this year where he really does good. So, um, but yeah, no, no one's really been, you know, a great surprise. I, I'd say Alex Okafor has maybe not been as great as you'd maybe want, but you shouldn't expect too much from him either. Um, I would say about Alex Okafor. So. He had that that late hit this week that was just, what are you doing? I mean, that was a very bad sideline hit. Um, but, yeah, no, I I think if, if I had to choose one to be Chris Lammons, I really didn't think he was uh, as much of a special teams ace. But those guys are valuable. You know, they, those guys do can win you games uh, depending on, you know, how much, you know, depending on the game, depending on the situation. Sometimes those really good special teamers can be the reason, you know, uh, a big play happens or, or something like that. So I'd, I'd say Chris Lammons. Yeah, so something to watch this week as we're talking about the bubble is we're hoping that Willie Gay Jr. will be active in the next week or two. Um, when he comes back, the obvious cut for him would be Darius Harris, who uh, who hasn't really gotten on the field a whole lot, but he's been that uh, extra linebacker the Chiefs carried knowing that Willie Gay Jr. was hurt to start the season. So he could be uh, the, one of those guys cut, but also now you've got, um, now you've got Ben Neiman in the concussion protocol. Uh, if that is a prolonged thing, uh, then maybe they've got to keep another linebacker on and, and shuffle somebody else out. As you can see, the the backup offensive linemen who haven't really got a lot of run uh, make up most of that bottom of the roster. So not a lot of movement down there. When I look at the market mover spreadsheet, uh, the real movement is sort of in those 20s and 30s on this roster because you know who the stars on this team are. They're pretty top heavy, um, but it's those guys in the middle, the the Byron Pringles, the the Daryl Hanna, uh, the Daryl Hanna, the Mike Dana, the Daryl Williams, uh, you know Nick Bolton, DeAndre Baker, Jarek McKinnon, Noah Gray, Jody Fordson. I mean that's that's where you're going to see some movement the rest of this year. Those are the guys who are poised uh, to potentially make a step in the right direction and make an impact. It's probably not going to come deep from the bottom of the roster, and that really leads us to a, a question from Matt Crocker, Matt Crocker eighty nine on Twitter. Who's this year's M V Pinnell to to bolster the defensive line. Uh, I'm going to take that to mean, is there somebody on the street that can come in and make a difference on this defensive line? Uh, Or is there somebody in house 
that has not gotten any play yet that will drastically change that defensive lineman or the defensive line rotation. Uh, will that will that improve um, based on personnel changes this year, Ron? Yeah, the MV Pinnell. Uh, who could forget? You know, our, our guy MV Pinnell that that helped win a Super Bowl with his run stuffing. You know, also on the run defense is so much better when he's in. Um, you know, I, I took this question a little differently. I just, you know, it it, it was just a more of um, just a player coming in, no matter the position. That could just be a little bit of, you know, because Mike Pinnell wasn't a great player or a great starter or anything, but he was just that little bit of, little bit of what they needed. Yeah, I think, I think it's Josh Gordon. I think that it's already on the team. I think, you know, uh, it's a guy that, you know, Mike Pinnell wasn't a great, you know, this starter, this guy making a bunch of plays. He was just a little bit of what they needed on defense, and, and Gordon's might be what they need on offense, even though the offense, like we said, has been unstoppable. Adding Gordon in, the threat of him to the defense – you know, he'll make if he makes one big play every couple games, that's enough for a defense to have to worry about him. That'll open things up for Tyreek, Travis, and even Clyde. You know, there's going to be lighter boxes like we've seen this year so far, but even lighter if Gordon's out there. So, yeah, I'd say it's Josh Gordon. I think he's already on the team. So, the, the standard Twitter response to that is, uh, can he play linebacker? Right. Isn't that, isn't that what <laughs> yes, it is? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't see a ton of personnel help other than what we've already talked about on defense. I mean, I think. I think it's kind of getting everybody back in the roles that you expected to start the season. If you can get Ward back at the outside cornerback position, you get Gay back at a starting linebacker. Maybe you get Thornhill increasing his snaps a little bit and playing more deep and letting Matthew play more in the box. Just those that shuffle will sort of get back, get Frank Clark back on the field. I mean, I know he's 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 either a forgotten man or the most hated man in town, depending on who you ask uh, so far this season, but. The guy does make a difference when he's healthy and on the field. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're certainly missing some pieces that you could reshuffle and, and get a picture for what this defense should be at the end of the day. Um, but I, I don't, yeah, I don't have a good bead on, on somebody who's going to come in and, and save the day. And, and I don't, so far, it doesn't look like those backup defensive ends. We talked about Josh Kendo and Alex Okafor. I, I don't see either of those guys stepping up uh, anytime soon. So, uh, buckle up. It's going to be an interesting rest of the season with the defense. It's probably just going to be a bottom half defense and we're going to have a, a top end offense and, and some games that's going to matter and some games it won't. One, one final question I want to get to in from rare form at big test 142 on Twitter. Are you worried about the Buffalo bills? I think it's a good time for us to get a quick couple of thoughts on the upcoming game this week. Uh, the Buffalo bills it's time all ready to move on to next week. We're already past this victory Monday, and now we're thinking about the Bills. Looking forward to the challenge of playing the Bills, Ron. <laughs> oh, yeah. Shout out, Andy. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I think the Bills are going to be one of those teams that everyone kind of comes into the game like, holy cow, they've blown out their last three opponents. You know, they've looked dominant so far this year besides week one. And I'm going to push back on that a little bit. They have gotten very lucky with the opponents they've played the last three weeks. Uh, Miami, when Tua got hurt, and actually, if you watch that game, Buffalo didn't even look that impressive. Somehow they still put up 35 points. Um, they played Washington, and, and Washington's kind of been banged up this year. Their defense has been way worse than everyone thought it was. I mean, it's been awful. So that is not, you know, th that wasn't the Washington defense we saw last year. And then they blew out the Texans last week without, you know, Tyrod Taylor in the lineup, which I think Tyrod Taylor makes them. So all of that to say, 
I think the Bills. I think the Bills are a little bit of a fraudulent team this year. I don't think they are one of the best contenders in in the AFC. I think they're going to be uh, record wise and 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 playoff wise. But I said it from the beginning, and, I, and I'm standing by it. I just think this. I don't think they're going to be a team. I don't think they're an AFC uh, championship type team. I don't. I don't see them uh, competing with us in the competing with us in the AFC championship. I think they're going to be a good team. I think Josh Allen's a really good player. But that offense has been kind of out of sync this year. He's not; he hasn't been as good as he was last year. It just hasn't looked, showed up on the scoreboard maybe as much because of who they played. And I think that's going to skew some opinions a little bit. But if you watch the games, the Bills haven't been that great this year, and 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 I think the Chiefs will take care of business at home for sure. So the Bills have two shutouts so far this season in their first four games, right? Uh, but they're against really terrible offenses. So yeah, I, I think the Bills are are not going to shut the Chiefs out. That's not going to happen. Um, this is going to be uh, more of an offensive battle between these two teams. So I'm not – I wouldn't say super worried about them, but this is the biggest test of the season so far. I think this is the number one team other than the Chiefs in the AFC right now. They, they have to be the number one contender until someone proves otherwise. Uh, and I think we've seen that the Ravens are a really good team and a tough matchup for the Chiefs, but they're probably not an elite football team right now. The Browns aren't quite there yet either. Um, those are, and the Chargers, I mean, all the Chiefs opponents so far have been among uh, the best teams in the AFC, other than the Eagles, obviously. Um, but I think the Bills are, are the best of those group, of that group. And so this is going to be a tough matchup for the Chiefs. Uh, they're going to present some challenges for this defense uh, of Kansas City that's frankly not going to be ready for them. So be ready for a shootout this week. I don't think the, uh, the Chiefs offense is going to be stopped all of a sudden just because they're facing the Buffalo defense. Uh, but they're going to need every one of those points probably to win this week. So, yeah, I, I think the Browns are better than the Bills. I'll just say that right now. I'll put that on the record. And I think the Chargers are probably better than the Bills too. I, I'll put that on the record uh, right now. So you can hold me to it if the Bills do end up, you know, being way better than those teams. But I just, I, I just want to put that out there because I, I do think the Bills are, are not as good as they were last year, and I think the Browns are, are that number two team in the AFC right now. Duly noted, and we'll see how that plays out on Sunday. But in the meantime, uh, let's get out of here for today. Everybody, thank you so much again for your time, for being with us today, for all of the, for listening to all of the Airhead Pride Podcast Network podcasts. There's so much good content coming out from this group. Uh, happy to be a part of it and happy to have you all listening with us. Please rate and review wherever you do that. And tune in next week to the Out of Structure Podcast and the Airhead Pride Podcast Network. Hopefully it's another Victory Monday podcast next week. So, Ron, I will talk to you then, man.